Good morning. So we need to do a little backfilling today. So I'll explain in a second why it happened, but um, turn to Ephesians chapter five, and we're going to actually move backwards in the book from where we last were at. So I want to thank a couple of people or a number of people here as part of this. So uh, I guess three weeks ago, Brother Ken spoke on 24 hours notice. So thank you, Brother Ken, for doing that and bringing the word to us. He uh, Wasn't that great? Um, so how it came about was I was set to preach the passage that we were going to speak on this morning. And on Saturday afternoon, all of a sudden I felt something hit the bottom of my mouth, I hit the front tooth. And my, literally my top left canine, I, what, no, not that front tooth, whatever the buck tooth thing is, right, right there, that fell down and hit, so I lost the tooth. So I looked like a hockey coach. And I didn't feel like speaking like this to you, and I didn't think it would be, right, I didn't think you guys would be able to pay attention to anything but the lisp. So I made a call, um, and Brother Ken filled in, so we're super grateful for that. Um, also, I want to say a quick thank you, because there's some people that really moved quickly to help me not have to deal with being without a front tooth for weeks. And um, Monica and Dr. Dan, within a few days, I had, a, had it taken care of, and I, I've got this, look, I look better now. So, um, so thank you guys, really appreciate how quickly you guys moved in and helped us out. So, um, by the way, just to, to really think back to last week, how many of you this week have been praying, Lord, I've got at least one person that I want, asking you to open their ears and open their eyes and to open their heart and then to open my mouth. Wasn't that, wasn't that a wonderful message from Brother Greg? It was... Um, Greatly encouraging to me, and I, I trust that as we are moving towards Easter, that we'll all be continuing to pray about someone who that we can, God can open our mouth with, and um, and we can invite them and share Christ with them and see God's gospel move forward in Midland and beyond. So, all right, so we find ourselves then backfilling from where Pastor Chuck was, and we're going to be looking at. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. And I want to I wanna read through that with you, and then we'll jump in here. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear the word of the Lord. So I want to take a second and kind of review the concept of walking, because this, this text says we need to walk in wisdom. So we live in an age when we don't really have to do a lot of walking. It's been to our detriment, right? Because if I want to go to the store, I just hop in the car, go to the store, and I don't have to walk. If I want to go see grandma, 
I just hop in the car, drive an hour, go see grandma. Right, come back. We don't really think about walking. And this term walk is a kind of an Old Testament metaphor for life, right? And for us, because we don't do a lot of walking, I'm not sure we really understand the full implication of that. So think about the fact that back in the day, when you had to go somewhere, you literally had to walk, or maybe if you were really, really wealthy, you would get on a donkey, right? Or maybe if you were really, 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 really wealthy, you'd be able to hold a chariot or some sort of a wagon, But for the most part, it was a walking culture. Now, if I'm walking, say, across Midland, that's pretty safe. But if I'm walking to the next town over, walking is not safe. Right? I may have to plan what time of day I walk because I might know that there's a forest where lots of bad people hang out. And if you go there at the wrong time, it's dangerous. You see what I mean about walking being different than what we do today? Today we get on a treadmill. Today we get on one of those little tracks above a gym or whatever around a gym. And we walk and we walk and we walk. There's no danger to it. We don't have to plan the when. We don't have to plan the why. We don't have to plan for danger. We don't have to plan for food on the trip. Because we just stop at the, right? So walking is a really good metaphor for the Christian life. If we think about it the way they used to have to think about it. The Christian life is perilous. Scriptures say, right, that we need to plan ahead to give no opportunity for the flesh. As in the Christian life, we may have to go, you know what, there's certain things I need to avoid. There's certain things that I need to stay away from. There's certain things I need to move towards in order for me to successfully walk the Christian life. And so Paul uses this term walk which is, again, straight from the Old Testament. But he uses this extensively in the book of Ephesians. Just, I'm going to review some of these. Notice, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, it says, In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So before we were believers, we walked in a certain way. And we were under the control of the demonic world, in terms of how we thought and how we behaved and, and what we feared. And so we walked, notice past tense there, we walked. Notice chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has a whole life full of walking that he has for us to do. And he has plans for us. And as we go about our day, we see opportunities arise and we go, is this God giving me an opportunity to walk in some of those good works? Ephesians chapter four, verse one. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been walked. So as we navigate this Christian life, our goal is to do it in a way that's worthy of the gospel that we've received, about the the grace and the salvation that we've received. Now, focusing more on this chapter, Paul really focused in on walking in chapter five. We were supposed to walk in love. We're be imitators of God as beloved children, and we are to walk in light. In verse two, he says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
And in chapter five, verse eight, he says, walk as children of light. So we're supposed to be light in a dark world by how we navigate our life and the choices that we make. And then in verse 15, he says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So God calls us to walk in wisdom. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you today about three, uh, they're really main points, but they're kind of steps. Okay, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to learn to walk wisely, and that's to redeem the time. Redeem the time. Number two, we're going to walk wisely, and we're going to understand God's perspective. And then we're going to walk wisely by embracing God's word. We're going to walk wisely by embracing God's word. And what I would suggest to you that even though these are three points, these kind of are stair-step building points, because what we're going to find out is we're supposed to redeem the time, and in order to redeem the time, then we need to walk wisely, and then in order to walk wisely, we need to be filled with the word of God in our life. So you can see the stair-step notion that I'm talking about. So then let's look at walk wisely, redeem the time. Walk wisely... By redeeming the time. Chapter 5 verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise. But as wise. Making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Now. I'm not a big huge fan of the King James Version. It was a great Bible for a while. But it's kind of. It's kind of old school English. We don't really talking. We don't go around talking thee and thou. But I, I actually think that the King James has the best translation of this. Because it's the most literal of the translations. The new, my, my New American Standard, which I love because it's a very literal translation. Doesn't do a literal translation there. I love the ESV. ESV, they get the notion, but they miss. I think they miss something that I want to point out today. So what does he say? He says, making the best use of time. That's not a bad translation, but the word is actually redeeming the time. And most of us have heard this, right? We need to redeem the time because the days are evil. That's this verse. And for those of us who grew up in the church, grew up with the King James Bible, we're used to redeem the time for the days are evil. And that term literally is to buy back. It's the term for buying a slave back out of like you you had a, a person that was enslaved because they, you lost a war and you go back and you buy them back. So the term is literally to buy, to redeem. And the, the, in our culture, um, so I'm going to point out some things that will break you along two lines. Those of us who remember S&H Green Stamps and those of you who have no idea what we're talking about. Okay, so for those of you who are younger, you guys, we have these little things that we scan at the supermarket and they give us like a bonus, like, ooh, you spend, right, you scan your thing 10 times for coffee and you get one free. And then when you get that one free, you do the most expensive coffee they'll give you, after, right? So that's, that's kind of what used to happen. But before we had the electronic capacity to track that stuff, we literally would go to the grocery store and you had these things called green stamps, and you would get, anybody remember these? All right, some of you, yeah, a lot of us do. So I just want you to know I'm on the very last edge of that. I barely remember that because I was so young. <laughs> right, okay. 
You get my point though. Okay, so literally you would go to say a Kroger or a grocery store and you would get these sheets and sheets of green stamps. And then eventually you'd get this catalog and you would redeem the green stamps. And it'd be like, oh wow, I've got like 20 pages of these green stamps. That's a lot. Oh look, I can get a whistle. (laughs) You're like, really? (laughs) Like I've got all these, but yeah, it's a whistle. Okay. So that's what you did. You redeemed, right? You took your green stamps and you redeemed them and then you got something back. So today we just like scan the card, right? The bonus card or whatever your place of purchase calls it. But that's the picture. We all have this daily stamp of 24 hours, right? We have this daily stamp of 24 hours. And every day, we redeem those stamps. And every hour, you redeem those stamps. And guess what? You can't stack them up. You can't go in and get that whistle for this many green stamps pages. So I want to be careful here, though, because I don't, there's there's an overreaction to this. And I don't want to overreact either. But let me hit what I want to, and then we'll talk about the overreaction in a second. We as Christians have the opportunity to store up treasures in heaven. And it really depends how we redeem our hours and our days. And some of us, we just keep checking in those stamps and we use it on maybe decent things. But they're really nothing that God cares about. We just keep turning that stamps, turning those stamps. There's another day gone. There's another day gone. And I, I want to challenge those of us who are not redeeming our time for the Lord to step up and go, wait, I've got an eternity to think about. And I've got Midland and the world to reach for Jesus. And how can I, in my own little way, turn in my little green stamp for each hour that I have? And I don't want to soften that challenge because some of you here today probably need that challenge. How am I redeeming the time? And I have to ask myself that question. Am I just in a holy huddle redeeming the time in a good sense or or in maybe a neutral sense where it's just, but I never do anything. I'm never praying, hey God, would you open their eyes, open their hearts, open my mouth? Am I retired from ministry in the church? God calls us to redeem that time. Now, there's a number of you, though, that I'm afraid to say that to because you're going to burn yourself out because you already redeemed the time so much. And that's a different problem, but I don't want that to soften what I challenged you with on the first hand there. Okay. So on the other hand, there may be some of you here today that do too much. And you're burning yourself out for Jesus. And you're going to be useless in five years because you have so given yourself and not renewed yourself so that you can actually serve better. Right? I know our lead pastor search committee has been putting in hours and they are ready to rest, right? 
they're ready to get some rest. Not complaining about it, but you know, as an elder board, we've been a little busy for the last couple of years. And you know what? Looking down the pike, when God brings us a new lead pastor, I'm ready to sit back and rest a little bit as I continue to serve, right? But so don't go too extreme on either of those. But the, the truth of the matter is, we need to redeem the time because the days are evil. And we need to walk wisely so that we know how to do that. And that's really our second point. Our second point, we need to walk wisely by understanding God's perspective. Understanding God's perspective. Look at verses 17. Excuse me, verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now that, that sounds... So trite, don't be foolish, understand what the will of the Lord is. So being foolish is contrasted to knowing what the will of the Lord is. This isn't the will of the Lord as, hey, should I buy that car? Should I take that job? Should I marry that girl? Should I marry that guy? That's not the kind of will that I don't think is being talked about here. I think what's being talked about is you need to understand what God says is important, what God says is wise, and what God's priorities are. Don't be foolish. And notice the connecting word, therefore. Because the days are evil, we need to grow in wisdom. We need to avoid foolishness. Because of this, we need to understand what God's will is. The best container of what's God's will? Right here. Not because I said it. Not because Ken said it, not because Greg said it, because God said it. And this is the container that contains God's will. And he says this, because the days are evil, we need to really, really grasp and understand deeply what God's will is. You know, Hebrews is very clear. The older you are as a believer, you have more capacity to understand good and evil. They used to drive me nuts when I was younger because I was like, I'm jealous. I can't wait to get old because I'll understand better the difference between the better or maybe the good and the best. But you're not going to do that if you don't evaluate things from a biblical perspective. So wisdom, we tend to think of words like wisdom and prudence and all those kinds of things. Wisdom as merely being worldly wise. We think, oh, he's wise because he invested money in a certain way and now he gets to retire at 45. We think they're wise because, oh, they're really good at buying cars and they know how to navigate those things. But in the scriptures, wisdom is deeply moral. It's not just skillfully navigating life, which it is, but it's skillfully navigating life based on the fear of the Lord. And that's a term we don't hear a lot because we're afraid of, no pun intended, we're afraid of what people might think about fearing God. But how many of, how many of you would say, okay, there was times when I feared my dad? In a good sense. Not, I know some people have very bad associations with that, but I, great father, love him to death. But there was times when he would look at me and I would go, yes, sir. Because I feared him. 
I wasn't afraid that he would beat me. I wasn't afraid that he would abuse me, but I feared him because I respected him. And I knew there was one time in my life, and dad, if you're, you're gonna eventually hear this because he always does. So he'll get a kick out of this. One time when I was about 17 years old, he looked at me and he said, son, I can still take you. And I literally stepped back. That's the closest thing I ever did to really fearing my father. But I feared my father. And wisdom isn't just being smart about life and smart about finances and smart about buying cars and smart about whatever else you want to fill in. It's about the moral wisdom that comes from the fear of God. And so now I know how to walk. I know when to walk across that stretch of wilderness because it's going to be safe from bandits. It's knowing when and how I navigate really tough questions. So you've heard me say this a hundred times. I'm a coach, right? And I've had to deal with the question of club sports. And it... Sports is now in the environment, and some of you parents have felt this. The question of, do you let your kid play club sports or not? Well, do, and that's, in some schools, it's like saying, do you want your child to be on the team or not? And what, what's the big thing about club sports? When do they generally play? A lot of them, Saturdays and Sundays. So here's a question that I've had to grapple with with my own children, and you probably And this is just an example. I'm just using this as a little example of what I mean by walking wisely. You're going to have to grapple with the fact of in this culture, how do I navigate the question of just one example, club sports. And we sacrificed at some level our child's athletic or children's, excuse me, athletic success because we wouldn't go full out whole hog club sports because our priority and, and we, we missed a few Sundays. It happened. We missed a few Sundays, but we made it a priority for most of the Sundays for our children and us as parents to be in church. And did it hurt our children? I don't know. They were pretty good athletes anyway. They did okay. One of them played college sports. One chose not to. But the point being, we had to navigate that. And in order to navigate that, you need to know God's priorities. You need to deeply think about And ponder what God's priorities are in different situations that you experience. So he says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So as you continue to really grapple with a Christian worldview by getting the word of God into your life, you're going to gain wisdom and yes, prayer is involved. And yes, getting wisdom from, from counselors is involved. Getting wisdom. But bottom line is, you stand before God. And he calls you to be wise. He calls us, he calls me to be wise in how I operate in the world and how I walk in this dangerous, dangerous world. So there we have, walk wisely, understand God's perspective. Then... Let's look at our third. He says, walk wisely by embracing God's word. Now, I may lose some of you here, and I'm going to try to keep this really on point. Okay, but this is, this is one of the, it's a challenging passage to teach because it's actually, there's some controversy in the translation here. Okay, 
And so I want to deal with that as, as crisply and cleanly and as succinctly as I can. But I'm going to ask you to put your thinking caps on for a minute. And I'll try to do it in as simple and as succinct way as possible. So let's read the text first and you'll see what I mean. So in verse 18, he says this, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled in spirit. See what I did there? I actually translated it literally. So most of the times in translation, when a word is added, it'll be in italics. If you've ever seen a word in italics in your translation, usually that means that word was added for clarity. But here the word holy is added and In most translations that I've come across, they don't italicize it. Or yours is a filled with the spirit. The is not there in this text. So there's a question. Is this passage talking about filling of the Holy Spirit, which is a doctrine? Or is this talking about something else? And we'll get to that. So, But in order to do that, let me just kind of walk through a couple of things here. Well... I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's deal with the drunkenness first. That sounds like more fun. So let's deal with that. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery or dissipation, but be filled in spirit. So, pretty straightforward command. Don't be drunk with wine. What does this have to do with all the stuff we're talking about? To be drunk is to be out of self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is what? Self-control. All right, so for 20 years plus years, I've worked with college-age students. And if there's one thing that college-age students all have in common is there's a really strong temptation for alcohol and for drunkenness. So I've had to grapple with this. I'm one of the few coaches at Northwood that actually expects a dry season, which is shocking for, for most co- coaches at, in, in the level that I'm coaching at. But here's what I've noticed after 20 plus years of working with college students, something I've never, ever, ever, ever heard from college students or adults for that matter. You know, I got drunk and I made some really good decisions. Fair? Has anybody heard that? I have no hands, right? That's the relationship here in this text. If you want to walk wisely in the world, you are going to have to be in a position to using God's wisdom be in self-control. But drunkenness puts you out of self-control. And let me tell you, if you work in in the arena that I do, you see some really bad consequences of people being drunk. People do things that they don't mean to do. Coaches have been fired for being drunk in public. Players have been date raped because of drunkenness. People have blown their testimonies because of drunkenness. And I, I'm, I'm not trying to be too funny here, but some people joke around, right, with that text. Well, it says, be not drunk with wine, so therefore beer and whiskey, they're okay, right? 
in our culture, I think he would say, be not drunk with beer, because that's kind of our staple. The staple drink for the people he's writing to here is wine. So he mentions that. So you can't get it off by saying, I just get drunk on wood alcohol or something like that, which would probably kill you anyway. But you get the idea. Also, altered states with non-pharmaceutical drugs. I think that's included in this concept too. So in a group this size, I, look, I deal, I deal with groups of 15 to 20 people. And it's an extensive issue. In a group this size, I'm guessing there's probably a number of you who are struggling to manage alcohol and or drugs. And we want you to be able to walk wisely. And we want you to avoid drunkenness. And we want to be a resource to you. And we are serious. We will be right up front here. You don't have to come up front if you don't want to do it. You can catch us another time. But we want to be a resource to you if drugs and alcohol are a problem for you. Because guess what? Putting it off will not help. It'll only make it worse. So deal with it now before the consequences are so, so bad that you can never recover. And we want to be a resource to help you recover. It's a serious concept, right? So be not drunk with wine. So the contrast, be not drunk with wine, but be filled in spirit. So I'm, I'm going to actually suggest to you that that's talking about the human spirit, that be filled in your human spirit. I'm going to say this for a couple of reasons. If this is talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit, which is a doctrine in the New Testament, actually the whole Bible, it's extremely different. So let me talk about when the Bible talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, which I don't think this one's talking about. And again, you don't believe me. Read the Bible for yourself. You make your decision. But let me go ahead and pull that slide up. So if this is talking about the doctrine of filling, which is all throughout the Old and New Testament, particularly in Luke and Acts, here's what's, here's what's interesting about it. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is never commanded because you can't do it. God does it to you. The Holy Spirit comes upon you and gives you special enablement for some sort of service. It manifests in speaking in tongues in the Old Testament when the Holy Spirit uh, filled the workers in the temple. They were able to make a more beautiful temple for, for God's glory. It's God's sovereign choice. And in the Old Testament and in the New, filling, not indwelling, but filling is temporary. It's a short-term thing that God does. He moves into your life, enables you for certain service, and then he, you do that service, and then he still indwells you, but he no longer fills you for that act of service. And, amazingly so, every time in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit filling is talked about, the term holy is added to spirit. And then one last thing, the verb there, and I, I hate dropping the Greek thing, but I think it's helpful. You'll see, just don't try to read it. Just see what it looks like. The verb that's associated with is pimplemi, right? Which is a different verb than what we have here. So then let's go to the next slide, if you don't mind. If I'm correct, and I might not be, but I, I'm fairly confident but here it's commanded. In fact, it's a command that you should continually be. Be continually filled in spirit. 
who's, who, who controls that in that command? I do. I determine whether I'm filled in spirit. What else? It's man's choice, my choice. And it's a permanent command. That's a slight exaggeration, but you get the point. The idea is be filled progressively and repeatedly. From, as you go through life, be filled in your spirit. And it's a different verb. Look from the one verb to the next. Play ra'o versus pimple me. So there's good reason for thinking this is probably referring to be filled in our spirits. Now, good job keeping the thinking cap on. I know that was kind of tough. Now let's do this one more thing though. Because I think one of the great things in scripture is often there's our parallel passages that help us understand unclear passages. And there's a basic principle that you learn if you learn the art of interpreting the Bible is that we want to interpret the clear, the unclear passages with the clear passages. And there's an actual, those of you who have ever read through Colossians and Ephesians, you know they're very similar books, right? There's actually a very stunning parallel passage here, and I want to show that to you. So in Ephesians 4.18, that's our text today. He says, be not drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled in spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Colossians 3.16 and 17, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns with spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Do you see what's parallel there? What's parallel there in that passage? About everything, but in terms of what's, what's the parallel to be filled in spirit? Let the word of what? Christ dwell in you richly. So what does it mean to be filled in spirit? My suggestion, and the best answer I've got, is I need to let the word of Christ dwell in me richly. And by so doing, I have the wisdom from God so that I can be in self-control and walk in God's wisdom as I navigate this really, really tough life. If you have questions about it, I know that was kind of a tough conversation. Love to talk to you about it. Um, If not, no big deal. We can keep moving. I do want to go back for one second, though. As I was speaking, I realized I missed what I think is a bit of an important um, point from the drunkenness piece. So let's go back for just one second. Sorry to do that to you. And do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery in the ESV. Uh, I believe the NASB says dissipation. The idea, that's an interesting word because the word debauchery and dissipation, if I think something dissipates, Right? It kind of effervesces into the atmosphere and disappears like fog in the wind. Right? That's both a moral description of it and it's actually a good way to describe it is it's, it's dissipation. It's a waste. Right? And I think that word is being used very specifically to respond to the word redeem the time. Right? If we're redeeming the time, what we do doesn't dissipate. You see? If we redeem the time then we don't get drunk and we don't waste our life so that we can redeem the time properly. You see? All right, so for, forgive me for that digression, but you get the idea. But so instead of being drunk and letting our lives dissipate into nothingness and wasting our time and wasting our energy and wasting our morals, 
Now what God allows us to do is let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, which then gives us wisdom and allows us to obey God and walk wisely in this world. So then what's the rest of us have to do with this? And I, God bless you, worship team. You guys rocked it today. I don't mean musically that always, but in terms of just bringing us to worship God and having godly lyrics and biblical lyrics, because this fits, this fits exactly what I'm talking about today. I'm not saying you don't do it regularly. You do it regularly, I mean that. But notice what he says. He says, so be filled in spirit. And then he tells you how to be filled in spirit. He says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So there's a twofold function to worship music, to Christian music. There's the worship element where we are extolling God's virtues and telling him how great he is and extolling God's glory. But then there's a a didactic or a teaching element to our Christian music. He says, we're speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And I know the worship team talks about this because I've had conversations with Dan and others who helped lead the Walt. And you guys know that your job, as it were, your ministry is to both help us worship and help us learn all at the same time, wrapped up into a beautiful bundle. But that's how we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. That's how we are filled in spirit. So when you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and we sing and make melody to the Lord with our heart, we're learning wisdom. By the way, how many of you have a really hard time memorizing the Bible? I, I'm, I'm there. I struggle with, I'm a concept guy. Give me a concept, it's locked in. Give me verbatim, it's, I struggle with that. But you know what? For some reason, I can sing 1980s pop songs like nobody's business. Give me some Tears for Fears or Phil Collins or U2 and I can sing alongside of it. And I think that's part of the reason why God calls us to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly with music because He's designed us and he understands that how we do that is going to be through godly, Christ-centered, God-centered worship. And I love it. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to make a big deal out of this, but for some reason, God calls us to pray to God through the Son. We don't pray to Jesus. It's okay with kids to do it. At some point, though, we need to transition from praying to Jesus to praying to God through Jesus or in the name of Jesus. I'm not sure why that's important, but I'm going to follow it. But I love it. It says, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because when we walk wisely, when we avoid the dissipation of drunkenness and altered states, That allows us then to think God's wise thoughts after him and to walk wisely. And when we do that and we see the consequences, the good consequences of what happens in our lives, we're able to turn and give thanks back to the Father. So let's bring this home. Application number one, what's driving your life? What's driving your life? What's driving my life? Are you redeeming the time? 
you turn it in those stamps, hour one, hour two. And then for some of you, a very small number of you, are you doing too much? Because you want to be able to redeem the time for your long life. You don't want to die early of a heart attack because you're killing yourself in ministry. Are you truly seeking to understand God's perspective on life? Guys, we are so inundated with good and bad teaching in ways that our culture has never been had that kind of exposure to. If it's me, if it's Greg, if it's Ken, if it's John Piper, if it's John MacArthur, if it's whoever, this is our standard, not them. We don't want to replace people with being Bereans. We want to read the scriptures for ourselves so that we can gain wisdom from God. Are you doing that? Are you finding ways? Maybe it's a podcast. Are you finding ways? Maybe it's a life group. Maybe it's a small church. Are you finding ways where you can get the word of God into your lives? Are you seeking God's wisdom? And then are you thinking about the world's that we walk in and the issues that you faced. Some of you are scientists. We have a few of those in town here. Have you ever thought about cloning from a biblical perspective? I don't think Midland, I don't think we do cloning in Midland or whatever research, right? But what kind of, what kind of research, and you guys would know this way better than I, what kind of issues do you face from a biblical perspective in your job? Are there ethical concerns that you have to worry about? You need to do that from a biblical perspective. Do you work with people's finances? Can you help them focus their finances from a biblical perspective? Are you an educator? Can you help people think from a biblical perspective? Three, are you wasting your life with drunkenness and altered states? We want to help you if that's a struggle for you. We have resources available and we would encourage you to do it sooner than later because the longer you wait, the tougher the consequences. Are you finding ways to fill your mind with the word? Do you sing? Do you listen to Christian songs? Now, there's a lot of really good Christian songs out there. There's a lot of really, really not so hot Christian songs out there. Are you selective about what you listen to? Are you choosing best over okay? Or best over, yeah, shady. I, I love this because I went through this mental exercise of trying to figure out how many people in a church dish out the word of God in different ways. I stopped at about 150, not by name, just by positions, right? We have a lot of people dishing out the word of God. I mean that in a good sense, right? Teaching the word of God. Helping children learn the word of God. Helping adults learn the word of God. Helping us worship from the word of God, right? I I stopped at about 150 because I'm like, but that's what the church is supposed to be, right? Older men teaching the younger men. Older women teaching the younger women. There is this process of discipleship that God calls us to. And if you're not involved with that somehow, you need to jump on the train because it's a exciting and it's joy bringing and it's enriching and you you're missing out but we're also missing you because as you're discipling being discipled by someone else you need to be discipling someone else too you go i've only been saved for a couple weeks that's okay find another person who's been saved a day less than you 
and learn what others disciple you with and give it to them. Because that's the process that God calls us to, is discipleship. Wow, what a great text, right? Walk wisely. Redeem the time. For the days are evil. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We are so encouraged today from your word. We're encouraged to walk wisely. We're encouraged to sacrifice um, what are really wasted things for more important things. Things that give us some joy for things that would give us even greater joy. Things that give us eternal joy. We pray as we move forward as a church that you will help us to be the kinds of people who walk wisely by redeeming the time and gaining your perspective. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.